All right, this is episode one officially of the Happy Astronaut Show. I talked last episode that I was going to do one happy person as my first um, episode, but I decided to go with the blog that I just put out today, which is 25 things I learned before turning 25. The reason I decided to do that is because yesterday was my 25th birthday. And I wrote this blog and I was kind of excited about it. And, you know, just being so close to my birthday, I decided this would be the more appropriate episode one um, of the of the series. So, of course, we learn many things throughout life. And for me, turning 25 always felt like a milestone. You know, growing up, my hero was my dad. And it seemed like everything for him happened when he was 25, right? He met my mom when he was 25, all the stories from his youth or when he was 25, in, in actuality, like 25 was just a reference point. He wasn't 25 in all of those stories. It was just easy to say, oh, when I was 25, I did this. When I was 25, I did that. It was just a reference point. But when I was young and I'm looking at a picture of myself from when I was about 14, when I was young, like 25 always felt like a milestone. It felt like the age at which you're old, but still, or you're young rather, but still independent. Um, and I always wonder what I would be like at 25, what would I look like, where would I be, what would the 25 year old version of me tell the younger version of me to focus on, um, what would I have learned by the time I was 25, and here we are, here are the 25 things I've learned before turning 25, obviously <laughs> there's probably more than 25 things, but as I was writing this, here were the 25 that really stood out as things worth noting. Number one, breaking a habit is best done when new information makes it impossible to continue. This is one thing that's been pretty foundational in my life. I am constantly striving for progress. Actually, every single morning, I do what's called a day score. So I write down the score of my day. I have a few different metrics that I track. And it really just helps me... Um, you know, be aware of the things I'm spending time on and making sure my time is well spent. Time is so limited. And when I track these different metrics, one of the things I'm always searching for is which metrics do I want to improve on and which metrics do I want to eliminate? Um, so there's positive and there's negative. And the negative ones are always, always, are always, always. Um, that are the bad habits, right? The, how many cups of coffee did I drink? You know, how many, how many drinks of alcohol did I have? How much bad food did I consume? And what I've noticed through this process is I've become so aware of the things that are bad that they've naturally just sort of weaned themselves out. But a part of that is when I write down, you know, my thoughts of that day, I have this startling understanding of the things that these negative habits are doing. As an example, very recently, I broke my addiction to caffeine. It was a short-lived addiction, but it was addiction nonetheless. It's such, a, it's such a powerful drug. And through the process of learning more about what caffeine does, I wrote a blog about it. I was like, man, this is not a good thing. I should not be drinking this. I should not be consuming this drug. 
And immediately once I did that, I noticed all the be- the benefits so much so that I'll never go back. I'll never go back to drinking caffeine. It just it's a nonsense drug. Same with smoking weed. One of my bad ones that I broke. Um, I used to lie in my bed on my phone for about 30, 30 to 45 minutes in the morning, just in bed, scrolling through Instagram. And it was really a, a terrible thing that I did. I wasted so much time. Time, like I said, is so precious. And it wasn't until I really appreciated the time I was losing and the time that I needed and the knowledge of the time that was going away to this activity um, that I could truly change. Number two, good movement begets painlessness. I'm a trainer. Um, I have my degree in exercise science. I've been steeped in the fitness space for, I'm 25 now, so eight years since I was about 17. And the most important things I've learned about fitness have all centered around movement. This is um, besides nutrition. And the reason that is, is because movement is the foundation. It's the thing on which if you do well, all of your fitness goals are very attainable. All of your pain can go away. All of your joints can be healthy. And when you try to increase your intensity of exercise, that is no longer a limiting factor. So proper movement and learning how to move and becoming athletic has been one of the most important things I've done for myself ever. Number three, we should eat close to how we evolved. The food pyramid has been upside down for the past probably 30 years. And I'll be honest, I was sold on sugar and processed carbohydrates, canned packaged goods, um, and the demonization of fat by those who profited off the misinformation. And when we really look at the diet equation, the answers was right in front of me the whole time. We evolved to eat just a few things, cooked fatty meats, dark leafy greens, and fruit. And through bringing my diet to just those things, I've, I've honestly never felt better. Number four, to become better at anything, you must understand relative intensity. I'm always seeking improvement personally uh, through fitness, health, and knowledge. Like I said in the beginning, I'm always striving for more progress. Like I literally score my day in the beginning of every single day. Uh, my biggest flaw has always been biting off more than I could chew. And this is one, been one of the benefits of the day scores. I set very realistic expectations for the next day. And I often um, make sure I set goals that are achievable. And if I fail at those goals, um, that's a big letdown because it was something within my grasp. But before that, I would always set these ridiculous goals. Hey, you need to work 12 hours today when my limit was six. Try to lift 100 pounds today when my limit was 50. I learned to slow down. And in that, I've made progress far faster than ever before. Number five. All living creatures are inherently selfish. This has been one of the most foundational things I've ever learned. And part of it was through the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which we'll speak about in just a moment. And a huge piece of it as well is through reading the book, The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins, which if you haven't read, you must read. Um, it's, it's the book in which the 
term meme was coined, M-E, uh, M-E. Um, the, the concept of memetics was formed in this book. It's a fantastic book by Richard Dawkins. And it taught me that all creatures are these survival machines for their genetics. And all their genetics are trying to do is program this survival machine, right? This, this body in which encapsulates these genetics to pass those genetics along. In this light, it's very easy to see why living creatures and of course humans act the way that they do. They're acting out of their own self-interest. They're acting for their own survival. Now, it gets cloudy when we talk about today's world and we talk about a world in which it is so easy to survive. Well, how can acting out of my own self-interest be for survival? Because survival is almost guaranteed. We have to realize that underlying everything that we do is our evolution, is our genetics. In this book, I learned that people look after themselves first, their own genetics second, the people they love third, and everything and everyone else last. This framing has made it incredibly easy for me to understand human action. Number six, the ultimate state is not happiness, it is peace. This came from Naval. I thought this was an incredibly good formulation of the understanding of happiness. There is something more foundational to happiness, and that is peace, right? Peace is when you are still. And then happiness is a result of peacefulness. It's peace in motion. It's peace when you're doing an activity. A peaceful person is going to be happy doing anything. Um, and that's what I'm constantly searching for. It's peace from my mind. And it's happiness doing whatever it is that I'm doing. Number seven. <laughs> number seven. Uh, number seven. Unwarranted criticism creates resentment. I realize humans do not want to be criticized. This came from people, cattle and friends and influence people. They especially don't want to hear how they have done wrong, especially when they did not ask. People don't like that. Uh, it turns out I found that uh, unfortunately pretty late in life. And what all of us desperately want to hear is how great we're doing. We so infrequently hear praise that we crave it like water when we are thirsty. So praise more and criticize less. Number eight, humans are unique in their ability to create knowledge. This has been a recent revelation of mine, and you can see this in my one of my most recent blog posts, How to Create Knowledge, when I explored the beginning of infinity by David Deutsch. I believe that humans are special. Um, we live in a ruthless world, but we inhabit a utopia. And when I say ruthless world, I'm not speaking of Earth, although there is definitely aspects of Earth that are ruthless. If we look at the void of space, these supernovas that happen all around us, um, the black holes that exist in our galaxy, as well as many others, the universe is incredibly um, inhospitable. But Earth is incredible. It has water, oxygen, and life. And out of it came us. A creature without, um, that without life uh, wouldn't be able to leave this planet at all. Right? Apes can't leave this planet but humans can. Many are pessimistic about humans. Many believe we are destroying our earth. In certain instances, this is definitely the case. However, 
We are the only life that we know of that can change anything at all. Of course, birds make nests and apes pick up sticks to fight each other with. But we created Manhattan. And you must invoke humans onto Earth to get Manhattan to exist at all. You can't invoke zebras. You can't invoke sharks or dolphins. You must invoke humans. In that we are unique. And I regard humans with the awesomeness that we are. I think we are quite special. Number nine. You are the average of those you spend the most time with. I moved towns my junior year of high school and I was placed in an advanced English class. And this is where I found my peer group for my junior and senior year, junior and senior year of high school. Um, when I went in all the kids that I hung out with in this class, because it was an advanced placement class, were all the smartest kids, quite literally the top 10 students um, were my closest friends. Being with these students, of which I had never hung around with previously. Um, these were not my peer groups in my previous schools. Uh, my grades soared and my work ethic soared. In my freshman year of college, I was without such a group. Um, the longer I spent without these positive influences, the worse I became. And it wasn't until my junior year of uh, college that I joined this cohort um, for my, my major. And that ended up causing another revival of the work ethic that I had back in high school. And this has been true of everything. My work, my school, my fitness, my health, all benefit or suffer in direct proportion to the people I surround myself with. Number 10, groups search for consensus, individuals search for meaning. I believe this is another Naval statement, although he's probably derived it from others as well. I often disagree with large groups of people. I find I do this pretty often. I usually agree with a small handful of people and usually I only agree with a few things that they speak of. The rest I usually disagree with. I disagree with viewers of Fox News. I disagree with viewers of CNN. Obviously these are large groups of people being indoctrinated into a ideology. I infrequently see large groups search for the best answer. They often seem to search for the best answer that they can find at the moment and then they defend it as if it's the only possible answer at all. They force the rest of the group to conform um, as a result. I have been misguided by groups, but when I'm searching for answers on my own, I find myself disagreeing with them often. I don't succumb to the norms of society often, fortunately. I used to quite often, and now I don't quite so much. I believe that in doing so, uh, has made me uh, search for what truly matters, and that's new knowledge. Number 11, if you talk about someone, they'll listen forever. Again, this is another how to win friends and influence people um, piece of understanding. Dale Carnegie, I think, is just a fantastic uh, individual. Providing that book to us has been such a blessing for me, um, and I know it, uh, plenty of others have benefited from it as a result. I learned a simple truth through this book and that everyone's favorite person is themselves. Again, we are self-serving and at the same time, we are also our favorite person. This understanding has led me to explore conversation in a different way. Instead of talking about what I was interested in, 
I talked about what other people were interested in. This made making friends, going on dates, and doing job interviews frictionless. Honestly, I have a great time on almost all first dates simply because, um, simply because I get to learn a new person. I get to figure out what they're all about. It's also made me learn at a faster rate. Listening was a better way to learn than talking about the things I already knew. Who would have thought that would be the case? Number 12, everyone's experiences that make them specifically skilled to create something valuable to society. After uh, appreciating people's desire to speak about themselves, I realized something. People are actually interesting. They all come from different backgrounds. They all have different experiences. They all have unique knowledge. And it was around when I went to college after I had read How to Win Friends and Influence People and I was speaking to so many more people and asking them about who they are that I realized something. They're all very specifically skilled at a certain thing. This idea, I think, is best articulated by Naval in his podcast, which is definitely a must listen. And his structure of the whole thing really brought clarity to the ideas that I was playing with about people previously. Number 13. You would rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener at war. This was a quote I heard recently, and I'm not exactly sure who said it. But it hit me hard because it gave a very clear one-line statement to something I had been um, considering for quite some time. And I always thought that there was something wrong with me, when I, especially when I was in high school. I was a very angry person. And I didn't understand other people. I would lash out at them for not seeing the world the way that I did. And over time, I realized the problem wasn't other people. People are all unique. They all come from different backgrounds, like we said. The problem was me. And I need to control my emotions. I need to understand that people are so unique. Um, but in reality, I need to tame myself. The process of controlling myself made me appreciate what it took to be a good person. The struggle of taming my anger provided me an appreciation for the benefits of peace. And I'm not necessarily sure I could have had this understanding if I was born more peaceful than I was. This is one of the keys of this quote is, you would rather be something to be tamed than being something tamed when you need to go out um, and actually fight. Or you need to go out and actually understand what is going on. And that's something that brought a lot of clarity in me was be, being really bad at something. As an example, being movement that we talked about earlier, I was not the most athletic person, but through the process of becoming athletic, I understood movement better. Through the process of controlling my emotions, I understood peace on a more fundamental level. If I wasn't so bad at these things, I never would have had to work so hard to understand them and be good at them. Therefore, um, I would not have the knowledge that I now have and the appreciation for it. It would probably all be lost on me. Number 14, planning slows action. People love to plan. I've built a few businesses at this point, you know, some with a certain amount of success, nothing crazy, but hopefully it continues to just get better. But one thing, even through my mediocre success, has remained true. The more I've planned, the slower the progress has occurred. When I've been when I was building my now company video that's finally in the hands of users. I'm super excited about that. I should probably make an announcement on Colin at some point. But when I finally created this company and I was ideating the whole thing, I had a few advisors, my father included, 
who kept telling me to create plans, to create financial projections, revenue projections for the company. Yet the company didn't even exist. It wasn't even a product in people's hands. I barely even knew what it was going to be. And all of this planning slowed me down dramatically. It slowed down the process of ideation. It slowed down the process of building. It slowed down the process of me uh, seeking more guidance from others. It slowed down the process of me getting it into the hands of users. Every time somebody wanted me to build a five-year plan, um, I rolled my eyes and then I did it. And then I realized in the process that I didn't learn anything because I couldn't know anything because I didn't know anything to begin with. There was no data to project off of. But the reality is with new businesses, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. So five years is a complete mystery. And projecting for is, a, is wasting valuable time that you could have spent building. Number 15, external events that don't cause physical harm cannot create emotion internally. So this is, you know, words can't hurt you, essentially. People's actions used to disrupt my internal peace all the time. Like I said, I used to be a very angry person. I used to not understand people. I used to lash out at people because they didn't understand the world the way that I did. And to be quite honest, I didn't understand the world at all. So I'm not sure why I was so firm in my beliefs. But on a much, uh, but now it it's on a much smaller scale. If not, you know, really at all. People can say things to me and it typically rolls right off my shoulders or things will happen in my life. And I, I get over them, quote unquote, pretty easily. And that's a pretty great thing. Um, what I realized is that this world is made up of my perception. If I project negativity upon it, I will receive a negativity in return. The inverse is also true. If I project positivity, I will receive positivity. What happens that doesn't physically injure me may never hurt me at all. There's good in every outcome even the truly terrible ones. I now see good in all outcomes and my happiness has benefited as a result. Number 16, criticism is a window into progress. It's very hard to implement this understanding if you don't have the previous one. If criticism really hurts you, then you're never really gonna seek the benefit in it. But people often criticize behind closed doors. Obviously we talk about people behind their backs pretty often. I realized how infrequently I got criticized. Now, I'm not really sure uh, why that is. Obviously, I'm, in, I'm infinitely flawed. But, you know, at the same time, I'm not the least intimidating person in the world. I'm probably big enough and speak with enough confidence that people infrequently want to challenge me. Or something worse, right? Like, I used to be a big jerk, and I still probably am. And people would rather just not deal with criticizing me at all so they don't have to experience the repercussions. Whatever the case might be, um, I rarely get to hear people's real thoughts. But when I do, I capture it. When I hear a moment of honesty, I absorb it, I consider it. And if I agree, I implement a solution. I used to fear criticism. Like I said, I used to lash out at people all the time. But now I crave it. You know, criticism used to spark a mess of negative emotions. But now it's, a, it's the window into progress that I didn't realize I needed to make, or I thought I was making and clearly need to continue because this person has criticized me. Number 17, life could be a lot worse. I got lucky. When I used to look at the world, I would see all of those who had more than me. Guys who were better looking and more athletic, classmates and colleagues who were smarter, people who became more successful at a younger age. Obviously, jealousy is a ruthless thing. 
and I used to get jealous all the time. Not saying I don't. I do often compare myself to others and wish I had what they had, but at a much smaller scale. But the more I looked around, the more I realized the rarity of me. And that sounds arrogant, but I promise that's not where I'm going with this. I have a lot. The immediate world around me is beautiful. I've always lived in beautiful places. Have I lived in the most beautiful places? No. But more beautiful than most? Absolutely. I am not ugly. I'm healthy. I'm not mentally impaired. I'm a well-off guy. I have money in the bank. I don't have any debts. And I live in some of the best areas of a first world country. Right now, you know, again, if we want to talk about comparing myself to others, I currently live with my parents. But my parents live in beautiful Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and they have a dock behind their house. And this seems like a very temporary thing. Could it be better? Sure. Would it impact my happiness if it were? It shouldn't. Number 18. Reducing stress is a function of controlling what can be controlled while disregarding those things that are out of your control. I realize that when things are not a matter of life and death, stress is unnecessary. And in my life, nothing has ever been life or death. Stress, stress is just an emotion that clouds my judgment. It is the feeling that makes me less efficient. And when I analyzed what made me feel stressed, it was often the things I couldn't control. Or it was things that I could control, uh, but were hard to control. So what's the solution to stress for me? Forget about the things I can do nothing about and work harder on the things that I can. And working harder on the things that I can is obviously the most challenging piece of it, but probably the most important. Once you realize that the things are that are out of your control, you cannot control, are not worth thinking about, it's pretty easy to disregard them. Let's say after a year or so of just categorizing the controllables and the non-controllables, um, you can pretty much isolate the non-controllables and then realize when they pop up how easy it is just like, hey, I can't do anything about that. I'm going to put that out of my mind. But we all need to work harder on the things that we can control. Um, and that's, that's the most challenging piece of that. Number 19, all knowledge is conjecture. After deeply examining this on one of my favorite podcasts and then writing about the principles of that podcast, uh, I grew a deeper appreciation for knowledge. When I looked around, I realized how uncertain life was. And this is a very recent mindset shift, probably in the last, I would say, six months. Conjecture is an opinion based on incomplete information. And none of the knowledge I saw around me felt complete. They're always missing pieces. There's more to be discovered. And those discoveries might completely alter what I thought we knew. Through this new lens, I've realized that even the basics must be questions. Question. In Kurt Gödel's vein, I realized, as he did, that nothing can be complete and correct. If you don't know Kurt Gödel's incompleteness theorem, uh, definitely go do some research because it's really a uh, a, fast, a fascinating shift in the way that we understand mathematics. We think that the basics, we thought at least, the basics could not be questioned. Now we realize they all should be. I wasn't right to hold my opinions so strongly as I previously did, but I did defend them strongly, and I do believe I was just in doing so. But now I hold them loosely, and I let go of them immediately, immediately when there's a contradiction. Or I examine them deeply when I think there's incomplete information. 
I'm a better learner for realizing that I am infinite in my ignorance. Number 20. And this is where we're going to get into a little bit of hot water with some folks. Religion provides answers where there currently are none. I stopped believing in God when I was about 10 years old, and my cousin asked me if I believed at all. I can still remember the conversation. I was in upstate New York. My sister had a basketball tournament, and we were in a motel staying with the team. And my cousin asked me, do you believe in God? And all that did for me was made me realize that believing was a choice. And once I realized that it was, the choice to believe did not make any sense. I began questioning the construct of religion itself, realizing that it was made by people to explain the unexplained. However, the more we explain through science and the more we continue to explain, the more religion has to retrace its steps. It has to relegate its answers to tales, right? Before certain tales in the Bible were answers to questions that we pondered, but now we have to say that, no, that's just a story to represent something of what God wants us to do. Now the only axiom it has um, is God. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens to religion when science explains creation. I also recognize a common theme among the religions, or among the religious, rather. They were inherently not curious. Faith, faith is the incomplete belief or trust in something or someone. But Kurt Gödel tells us that nothing is complete and correct. We must always question even the things we are most solidly sure of. Their faith was the limiter to their curiosity. Humans today cannot yet understand the scale of the universe. Religion is a proof of this. We want answers where there is uncertainty. What I feel is the better approach is to embrace un uncertainty and work daily to make the uncertain more certain. This shift alone in my life, and to be quite honest, it's really been in the past six months of appreciating this, has made me find what I believe my purpose is, and that's just understanding. It's the search for new knowledge. 21. Science is good explanations of the natural world. This is physicist David Deutsch's take on science. I think it's a fantastic reduction. That means that the fundamental thing is good explanations. We can have good explanations um, that are not yet science, things that we will soon be able to prove through nature's laws, but cannot yet. It also means that there's a pathway for knowledge. It clarified my understanding of knowledge. Often, knowledge begins in theology, it transitions to philosophy, and then it becomes science. The beginning of the universe was a theological question. Then it was a philosophical one. Now it's a scientific one. I'm excited to see certain questions like, why are we here? To be explained by the natural world. Number 22, you want to be in possession of nature's longest threads. Through David Deutsch's philosophy of knowledge, I was able to further appreciate what I'm working towards in life. I want to understand. I want an appreciation for the world around me. I want knowledge of its existence. That always seemed like a daunting task. But according to David Deutsch, by just understanding the fundamental aspects of nature, I can have the capacity to understand it all. I can't memorize it all. There's too much to know. Um, but I can understand all if I just have the fun foundational understandings. 
this is best visualized by physicist Richard Feynman. And when I read this quote, I was like, man, th this just makes perfect sense. Nature uses only the longest threads to weave her patterns so that each small piece of her fabric reveals the organi organization of the entire tapestry. I am sorry for butchering that, Richard Feynman. Uh, may you rest in peace, but that is a beautiful quote. Number 23, being rationally optimistic improves your judgment. Being irrational, which I have been in the past, led me to seek out the wrong questions. Being rational led me to seek out the right questions. Being rational but pessimistic, which I was for a very long time, led me to search for the worst answers to the right questions. What I mean by that is I searched out the negative answers. What could go wrong? Being rational but optimistic led me to seek the best answers to the right questions. I realize that pessimists are terrible predictors of the future. If pessimists had their way from the beginning, we would still be starting a fire with flint in a cave. Pessimists linearly extrapolate the worst things into the future. The earth will continue to get warmer. The oceans will continue to rise. We have no solution for this today. Therefore, we will have no solution for this tomorrow. But optimists understand that humans are creative. They are knowledge creators. And you never know what answers they will come up with next. Being an optimist has made me predict the future better. I was confident that I could make my training company survive COVID. At the time, I was a personal trainer. COVID happened. I was like, oh, my God, the gyms are closed. What am I going to do? I knew I could find some creative solution to the problem. If I was a pessimist, I would have thought I was doomed. Gyms were closed. They were going to be closed forever. What a terrible way to live that would be if I thought that way. The gyms opened up. Really, I didn't have to find that creative of a solution. I just had to go back to work. But if I was a pessimist, things would have seemed significantly more daunting. Through being a rational optimist, I also realized that realists are just pessimists in disguise. So if you are one of these individuals, think deeply about the things you search for and the answers that you provide, because often you'll find they're fairly negative. Number 24, reading a lot is a function of how well you understand yourself multiplied by your own willingness to admit you're not as smart as you think you are. I used to have a very hard time reading. And I'll be honest, I was actually going through this with one of my friends, we we're going through some past books that I read. And I realized that from the very beginning, I always actually liked to read. Um, I read quite a bit. But TV when I was younger was a very big thing. So I watched a lot of TV. And unfortunately, that sapped away my love for reading. Um, summer reading was always an issue for me as well. I never did my summer reading. In reality, I just skimmed spark notes so that I didn't fail my first essay in English class. But now I love to read, and I read all the time. I read so much so that I sold my TV and also my PlayStation. True story. The secret. I had to realize that I couldn't read to learn. I couldn't read these dense texts. I couldn't read a whole bunch of self-help books. Those were not going to help me love to read. I had to read to have fun, because that's where I am now. I'm not smart enough or have the attention span to dive into The Beginning of Infinity by David Deutsch, and be engaged for all of its pages. I've just listened to Naval and Brett Hall's uh, podcast on the topic, which is why I know a fair amount about the text, but I haven't actually read it. It's very dense. 
I must take the slow journey. I must read the junk food until I crave something deeper. And it's amazing over the past year or so, I've been reading so much so that this is actually happening. I read so much of the junk that at some point the junk becomes boring. I want more. On top of that, when I began reading, I didn't know at all what I wanted to read. Was it going to be sci-fi, fantasy, fiction, nonfiction? This wasn't a function of not reading. Okay, maybe it was a little bit. But it was a function more so of me not knowing myself, my own desires. I've actually learned myself significantly more through reading than I have really through anything at all, especially through watching TV. Reading has made me a better writer. It's given me a longer attention span. It has allowed, allowed me to read faster, um, as well as has given me more empathy. And reading has also provided me something invaluable, a better understanding of myself. Number 25, the final lesson I've learned before I've learned, I've turned 25. This is the only thing I'll, these are the only 25 things I've learned up until this point. Um, in an infinite universe, anything that can happen will. The things that many call miracles, I have realized, are just a result of the scale of the universe. The universe is infinite. There are infinite universes according to our best working theories. According to quantum theory, there are infinite universes of which all have the same natural laws. Anything that can happen then will. Anytime you have to make one decision or another, um, in multiple universes, you'll make all of those different decisions. If something seemed particularly amazing, it was. But it wasn't divine. It was just a function of statistics. There are infinite universes. Infinite things will happen. A good example of this happened recently. I was driving my friend back to the airport. This was on Tuesday morning of this week. And it was very early in the morning. Um, her flight was at 6 a.m. And so we had to get there, you know, at 5 a.m. On my way home, I didn't want to think. I was running low on sleep. And I didn't want to be bored for fear of falling asleep behind the wheel. So I put on a stand-up comedy playlist on Spotify. Now, I've never done this. I only listen to music and podcasts, some of the podcasts and comedy podcasts, but none of it's stand-up comedy. I don't know what compelled me to listen to stand-up comedy this morning. Um, obviously, like I said, it was a function of not wanting to be bored. But I could have put on a podcast. I could have done anything. I could have listened to really loud music. But I decided to put on the stand-up comedy playlist. And the first bit in the playlist was one from my favorite comedian, Norm MacDonald. Later that day, I was on Twitter. I look at the headlines on the right column of my screen. And Norm MacDonald had died of cancer of, at 61 the same day. It's the same day I randomly decided to listen to his comedy. Is the same day that he died. Again. That same day, I decided to listen to one of his comedy specials to pay homage. I was in the gym, and I thought to myself, you know, this is really sad. An amazing comedian has died. I should really consume his content. The first bit he had, the first joke he had in this comedy special that I put on in the gym, the same day that he dies, is about death. It is about cancer. It was before he even got cancer, which is what he died of. In that joke, he said this, I'm pretty sure, I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure if you die, the cancer dies at the same time. That's not a loss, that's a draw. What a wild string of coincidences. I listened to Norm MacDonald on a whim 
unknowing that the same day he would die of cancer. Then I listened to a special of his that same day that has a positive message about losing a life to the same disease that killed him. And guess what? The next day was my 25th birthday. Some may call that a miracle. Some say that I should deeply consider the meaning of it all. I call it statistics. Amazing things can happen and often do because of the infinite nature of the universe. And who knows what amazing things will continue to happen. That's the fun of life. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. We have a few of you here. Um, this was really fun. Episode two, I guess it's going to be, because first episode was episode zero, um, is going to be about why I'm a happy person. It's going to be the first blog I ever put on my johnwilliams.blog page, which you can go check out. This was from my recent blog that I posted today, 25 things I learned before, 20, before turning 25. If you want to recap any of these things, um, that blog is on my johnwilliams.blog page. But thank you all for tuning in. This was a great time, and I will see you guys next week. Next week.